welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. The international tournaments do not stop. We've finished all of our senior continental tournaments, but we have a World Cup to look forward to. The Under-20 Women's World Cup kicks off in Costa Rica later this week. And thanks to the two sweetest words in the English language, we will have an Australian presence in this tournament. So, that's worth a preview. So we're going to crack into the under-20s Women's World Cup chat, have a little chat about our young Matildas, who they'll be playing, who we're excited to see in this squad, and just have a little chat because we do love an international tourney on the far post. Before we crack into the chat, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For this preview episode, you have me, Marissa Lovanik, Angela Christian-Wilkes, and Sam Lewis. So, girlies, let's talk about the young Tillies. Very, very exciting. The girls are already in Costa Rica. They kick off their tournament very, very shortly, literally later this week. So, it's all very exciting. But let's talk a little bit about the Under-20s World Cup, because as I alluded to, the two sweetest words of the English language, default. That is how we have arrived in Costa Rica. So we naturally had some questions about this tournament and what to kind of expect from Australia. And I think the thing we need to hammer home is the fact that we are there on default. So Sam, do you want to kind of explain and elaborate a little bit more this this concept and how we've actually come to be in Costa Rica? Default, default, default. <laughs> yes. So this is a this is a funny one. So back in 2019, which was when the qualification period for this under 20s Women's World Cup occurred, we were playing in the Asian Confederation and we finished fourth. Uh, ahead of us were Japan, South Korea, and North Korea. And unfortunately, the the young Matildas at the time. Uh, only finished fourth, which meant that they just missed the automatic qualifying spots for the Under-20s Women's World Cup. But uh, the pandemic was a thing that happened. Uh, You may have read about it. And uh, in partly as a result of that, North Korea withdrew from the tournament as they've withdrawn from a number of other tournaments, including the Senior Asian Cup back in February. So North Korea's withdrawal meant that the next best place team got to take their spot. And that happened to be Australia. So this tournament, it, like pretty much everything from now onwards is a bonus. Like we shouldn't actually be here in the first place. But the, so the fact that we are is is really exciting. It's a really fabulous opportunity for this new crop of players. And we've already seen over the last uh, probably 10 to, 10 to 12 days that Football Australia have really been giving the young Matildas um, a, a, their best shot really at, at preparing themselves for this tournament. They've been in Mexico. They've been um, acclimatizing at a high altitude. They've been playing friendlies against club and national teams as well, both Mexico and Colombia. And prior to that as well, we saw back in April that the young Matildas uh, had a camp in Canberra where they played two games against New Zealand, who will also be appearing at the tournament. So this is going to be great. This is a, a really um, exciting crop of young players. And you know, the, the unfortunate thing really is that because there was, there's been such a, a long period of time between the qualification phase and the actual World Cup going ahead, because this World Cup had to be delayed due to COVID as well, 
it means that the vast majority of the players who qualified back in 2019 are now too old to actually participate in this under 20s tournament. So we're going to see a lot of debutants. We're going to see a lot of new players that maybe um, fans aren't super familiar with. There are a number of A-League women players as well. I think 17 of the players called up to the 21 player squad have A-League women's experience. So yeah, it's just, it's going to be a, a fabulous moment, a really exciting tournament for these young girls. And um, hopefully we're going to see not just the, the future stars of the Matildas, but the future stars of women's football. Because the under-20s Women's World Cup has been the proving ground and the sort of the announcement stage for some of the biggest names in women's football, including Christine Sinclair, Marta, Alex Morgan, Beth Mead. You know, all of these players got their big starts really at an under-20s Women's World Cup. So that's what I'm really excited for. Like, yes, Australia participating, obviously, is fantastic. It's going to be really great. But just seeing the quality of the play and the quality of the players that I reckon are going to emerge from this tournament, that's what excites me most. Angela? We've had a couple of people ask basically about, like, the pass mark for this tournament. So some people want to know, is getting out of the group going to be a big deal, all things considered? Um, Stephen's asked, what is the pass mark so we don't have to hear more of the the sky falling in rhetoric that seems to have plagued youth squads recently? So in your opinion, what should we be expecting realistically from the young Matildas in this in this tournament? Oh, God, that's a big question. Um, the You know, based on the, you know, it's kind of like she doesn't even go here. Um, it. Can we really expect too much? I think to to overcome the sky falling in rhetoric, are we going to need something a lot stronger than a, a solid performance at this tournament, to be honest? But I think if we can see, it, this is going to sound like such a cop-out, but it will be based on what we see on the field, right? It's not necessarily going to be about results. It's going to be about um, how we see these players come together, how we see them respond to difficult situations, Um how for me in particular, I'm really interested to see how um, some of the players who've had recent call-ups to senior Matildas, how they perform in this environment and like a, a thing that obviously well, should come out of the tournament is names and faces who could be primed for senior international football further down the track um, as part of, you know, the bigger project that we've got going on Um in Australian women's football at the moment. So I think, but if, if we're looking at pure results, um, to not get completely thumped would be a real positive, I think, especially in terms of, for me, my anxieties around defence <laughs> and um, a win, to win that first game against Costa Rica, I think would be a big positive. Um, Brazil and Spain, again, to not get thumped. That that would be that would be excellent because it's a hard it's a really hard group. So, like I said, the results I don't think are going to be very re- reflective of what is. Yeah, they're they're just going to be two dimensional um, in that regard. So, yeah, I'm not sure we probably won't get out of the group, but that's that's okay. It's this is just a great opportunity, and the, yeah, like you said, you've said we're not even meant to be here. It's all just a bonus, really. Anyway, maybe maybe that's too uh, level-headed of me to posit. I agree with 
you though because and I feel like I'm gonna ram it home as well just to kind of repeat what you've both said we weren't meant to be here youth football just like every other level of football has been hit by the pandemic hard the the young Matildas only played their first game in nearly three years in June this year so the fact that they now have three international level football games that actually mean something in a high quality tournament against high quality opponents that they would not have had otherwise that's a win for this setup for these players for the system like it's it's all good obviously we want results like and I very highly doubt that Leah Blaney and the squad are like we're just happy to be here um really excited to have seen the animals in Costa Rica and stuff like of course they're footballers they're very competitive people they want to win and they're going to do everything they can to win but I think if we start looking at them like if we don't do here the future of Australian football is completely in the toilet we're, we're not looking at it right so I think everyone just needs to to take a step back and just be really I suppose, excited that these players are getting this opportunity because they weren't going to get it otherwise. And as you said, they played against New Zealand, had some really good contests against New Zealand, and obviously they've qualified as well. So the fact that we're matching it with another team that is also playing at this level, that's really good stuff. We've played, as you mentioned, some friendly matches against Colombia, against Mexico. We've had a couple of wins, a draw as well. So things are moving along nicely, but it is still a World Cup and we're coming up against some absolutely cracking opponents. So it's going to be very, very exciting to see how it goes. But, yeah, I think we all need to take a huge step back when it comes to expectations and just let let them breathe, I suppose, is my, my weird way of saying this. I think another thing to keep in mind as well is that this 21-player squad is probably not Australia's strongest, and that's for a number of different reasons. The first is that there are a handful of players who are injured um, and so they were not available. And the second one, which is a little quirk, uh, I suppose, of the FIFA calendar is that this under-20s tournament is actually not an official FIFA window. And that means that clubs around the world are not obliged to release players if they don't have to. So We've got a number of young players who could qualify for this tournament, including Mary Fowler, Cara Cooney-Cross, Courtney Nevin, but they are not in the squad because presumably there have been discussions with the clubs uh, and the clubs have decided not to release them. And that makes sense, particularly um, for Fowler, who is part of a Manchester City team that is embarking on Champions League qualification, that is starting pre-season ahead of the, the FAWSL. You know, so it, it sort of makes sense. It's like, it's a, sh- it's a shame, of course. We, want to, we, we would ideally love to field our strongest possible team in a tournament like this. But unfortunately, it's just the way that these things go sometimes. And so we don't have the, the full array of under-20s talent available to us. But that's okay because it means that more players are being given opportunities to step up and show what they can do. Because, like, to be honest, we know that Mary Fowler is excellent. We know what Kyra Cooney Cross and Courtney Nevin can do. Them coming to this under 20s tournament would sort of have just solidified that. I'm not sure they would have gained very much personally from that kind of experience because they've already done so much with the senior Matildas, right? But for 
players on the fringes, for young players emerging through the ranks in the Young Matildas, now going to their first ever Senior World Cup, some of them going to one of their first camps, you know, with the national team. This is a huge moment for them and it could be the the sort of springboard that they need to take their careers to the next level, which a Fowler and a Karina Cross and a, and a Nevin have already really done. They're now playing full-time with clubs overseas. They're now basically, you know, cemented in the Senior Matildas as well. So, yeah, so, you know, silver linings to all this sort of stuff as well. Hayden, that answers your question about if it's a missed opportunity. It kind of isn't. It's just, it is how it is, as the the kids would say. But it's a good segue to actually talk about this squad because, as you said, 17 of these players are at A-League Women's Club, so really nice to see some familiar faces that we've kind of grown accustomed to, especially over the last couple of seasons of dub Then there's some players who are, you know, I think still eligible for under 17. So there is some very young talent here. There's a few players who were at uh, or part of the under 23 squad that uh, competed in the AFF championship a bit earlier this year. So there's lots of really exciting, a few familiar faces it's all a little bit cool. I really like what or the the squad that Leah Blaney has selected. And she said that, you know, they took an extended squad to Mexico from memory and it was very difficult to then chop it down to the 21. But keen on both of your thoughts, keen on both of your thoughts as to who you are excited to see. Maybe it's someone we're quite familiar with or maybe it's someone we're not as accustomed to, but happy for both of you to, to offer up some players and some names that you, you're really keen to see, Don Green and Gold. Yeah. Uh, yes, was very excited. Well, I guess it's like some of the names I don't know. So Dos Santos, I, like just people I've never seen play football before. That's going to be really exciting. Um, I know obviously we have our, our national Premier League competitions that you can readily follow here in Australia, but I'm time poor. So I'm very sorry. I haven't been in NPL enough this year, but this is going to be a great opportunity for me to tap back into um, those player pools and to get excited about um, people playing right here on our, on our doorstep. Um, in terms of players I'm a bit more familiar with, I'm really excited to see Alexia Apostolakis. Um, she had, she really had to step up for Western Sydney Wanderers last season. Um, she, I think, she played mainly as a centre-back, but I'm not too sure if that's like her first position. But like I mentioned, defensive anxieties, always keen to see like some some CBs doing their thing. And, yeah, I just really liked what she showed um, in the A-League women's season just gone. Uh, who else? I did have some names. Sally James after the final series for Melbourne's, like, incredible. Um Again, I'm not too familiar. I guess we don't have a whole lot of data available to us based on um, the lead up to this tournament, but who, how they'll rotate keepers in these games as well um, and who is the number one or who may, or if that's even a thing in this kind of environment. Um, and I guess uh, Hannah Lowry, because she's fantastic and I think um, she'll play a really big role in this, in this squad. But um, in terms of players who perhaps didn't have a standout season in my mind from the A-League women. That's also another interesting point. So Briley Henry, really keen to see what she can do because I get the sense she's like that Western Sydney Wanderers squad. I think it was hard for like a an out-and-out striker to kind of thrive in that environment. But um, this is a different context, different team. So um, we'll be, yeah, keen to see 
what she can do here as well. Um, and another big name, and I'll throw it to Sam here because she is the Sydney Nuff on this podcast and I would not want to take that away from her in any way, shape or form. Uh, Sarah Hunter, she just absolutely massive A-League women's season just gone. So, um, Sam, maybe you can expand on Sarah's role in this squad. Yeah, Sarah Hunter is a, is a really big one for me, alongside Hannah Lowry, because Lowry, I think, was one of the only players um, who appeared in that 2019 squad, actually, who helped the young Matildas qualify. So, And she's obviously come quite away in the last couple of years with Perth Glory. So I'd be really keen to see how far she's progressed, particularly since the last A-League women's season, because they've still been training together over in WA, which has been really good. Um, but Sarah Hunter is, is the one that I'm really, really excited to see. And her season with Sydney, I think was, um, exactly the moment that she needed to put her name up in lights. Almost every time that she was on the field for Sydney, she did something, she created something, she, she created a problem. She created an opportunity. She, she did something really special. She was a standout player in, in the friendlies against New Zealand earlier this year, And she seems to have been a standout player in the recent friendlies as well. She scored two of the three goals against Mexico in the friendly last week or the week before, I think. Um, And she, she just seems beyond her years in terms of the way that she plays in midfield. So I'm, I'm really keen to see how she matches up um, against world quality, like world-class proper, like proper opposition, you know, not just sort of A-League women's kicking about, but you know, we're coming up against players who play full-time, some of them, um, in, in club land. Some, you know, a lot of the players for Barcelona, I mean, a lot of the players for Spain play for Barcelona or Atletico Madrid or, you know, they're in one of those fully professional environments over in Spain. So it's going to be really great. But in terms of um, other players, particularly players who we are not familiar with in the A-League women's, um, you know, we've got a couple. Janaya DeSantos is one, Angela, you just mentioned as well. Um, Greta Krishula, who is over in college. Uh, but one player who I'm so, so excited to see for a couple of reasons is Abby Lemon. And for anyone who uh, is, um, I guess, involved in MPLW land, shout out to all of our friends of the pod um, from MPLW land and shout out in particular to friend of the pod, Kelly Lemon, who is a photographer and has been a photographer of MPL women's and A-League women's for years and years and years and years. Abby is her daughter and Abby's story is quite different from the stories of most of the players selected from this for this squad. So Abby came up through the ranks um, through MPL, like, like a lot of players, but instead of getting her first sort of professional start in the A-League women's, she got an opportunity to train with Levante over in Spain. She was there for three months initially back in 2020, um, but she impressed them enough that she was offered uh, a a proper gig in their B-side the following year. So she, her first taste of sort of top flight football has been in Spain, uh, you know, against some of the the best best young players in the world. Um, she has made a big impact as well when she's come, been called up for the young Matildas over the last couple of months. She's a winger or a forward. She's incredibly dynamic. She's got fantastic technical skills with the ball at her feet. Um, she's very creative and she just brings something different, I think, to the kind of style of football that maybe we're used to seeing from Australians, particularly wingers. Um, so yeah, so her, her getting this shot uh, and, 
I'm just, I'm so thrilled for Kelly as well, because I like, I know Kelly personally, and she has always raved about her daughter being fabulous. And now the whole world is going to actually see what, what she's been going on about. So yeah, a couple of really, really exciting players um, who hopefully this is going to be sort of their breakout tournament. And um, they may not, might not be on the radar for 2023, but they're certainly going to be part of the uh, the fabric of the national team, I think, going forward for the next decade. It's one of those exciting stories, as you guys have both said, those players who my knowledge level is just like zero. I'm like, so how good are you? Like, I'm really keen to see how good you are. And yeah. DeSantos, Galich, uh, Lemon all kind of fall into that Um Krishula as well, obviously, Lockie France uh, made sure to mention her when we put a call out for questions, thoughts. He simply tweeted her name because, of course, he did. So shout out to friend of the pod, Lockie. He loves his college chilies. Um, but two players that I I agree with you guys, Sarah Hunter, I'm very excited to see her. Tim asked who our top scorer will be, and she is my answer. I absolutely think uh, she's going to bang them in for fun. Me but too. two players that... I wanted to mention who we were familiar with from the most recent A-League women's season, Charlie Rule and Sheridan Gallagher. So I'll start with Charlie Rule. Thought she was just phenomenal for Sydney. But the interesting thing for me is that we saw her basically all season as a right back, but she's listed as a forward for this tournament. So she could just have the range, darling. Maybe we don't need right backs at under 20s level, but I'm really keen to see what she does because I thought she was so good for Sydney and just really played sensationally. So wherever she ends up popping up in this team, really keen to see how she goes. And then Sheridan Gallagher, you may remember her as the Western Sydney Wanderer who pulled a Sydney FC player's hair in one of the derbies during the most recent A-League women's season. She is the captain of this squad. And there's a small part of me that's like, those two things don't seem to connect, but obviously Leah Blaney and the young Matildas set up have seen something in her and are bestowing upon her the responsibility of being the captain. And she spoke so glowingly of the responsibility of wanting to do well by her teammates, wanting to lead by example, wanting to make sure that her actions spoke louder than her words and really lead from the front. So I'm really keen to see how she does with that level of responsibility, but also as a bit of a, an attacking creative player. So really keen to see how those two do. As I say, are we all kind of in agreement, Sarah Hunter, top scorer, just because Tim asked and I'm trying to make sure that yeah. we answer all the questions. Yeah. Angela, yeah. Yellow? Yeah. Um, so that's our squad. We can't go super into depth on our opponents, but let's have a little chat about them. So we are in Group A with Costa Rica, the hosts, Spain and Brazil. It sounds scary on paper because it is scary on paper and then you go like a layer underneath and obviously host nation, you hope that they're going to be super well supported and you can imagine that opening game which Australia is going to take part in. Is gonna, you really, really hope that the people come out and it's going to be this huge, massive party atmosphere. But then you've got Spain and Brazil, the current respective champions of their respective continents, like literally played earlier this year, went through those tournaments, I'm pretty sure, undefeated. So it's a little bit scary. Um, <laughs> how, how do we feel about, I suppose, coming up against these nations, whether that be purely from the Australian perspective or just as you were kind of talking about earlier, Sam, the, the football lover's perspective, seeing the the next kind of crop of Spanish and Brazilian and Costa Rican talent. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like 
these nations are no pushovers. <laughs> so Spain and Brazil we're talking, and it's always bloody Brazil. Why do we always get bloody Brazil? <laughs> Regardless of the tournament, it's always Brazil. Anyway, that contributes to the narrative and we love that as part of the media. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm personally just really excited to to see the football. I'm just like I just want to see these players. Like one of the sort of devastating um, player absences. Speaking of player absences, is uh, Brazil's sort of next martyr, I suppose you could say, a 19 year old named Giovanni Quiroz. Probably pronounced that terribly. I'm so sorry, but Gio is the name that she goes by. She was called up to uh, to Brazil's uh, Copa America women's team the senior team recently and that's the reason why she's not going to be appearing at this under 20s women's world cup even though she um can qualify based on her age so it's a real shame that we're not going to see a player of her caliber because i anticipated her absolutely tearing through us like a hurricane through a field so yeah i mean that's you know that's just how these kinds of things go and i'm pretty sure spain um there was a similar situation with one or two players uh, from the spanish team as well who aren't going to be appearing so but yeah, I mean, like it's 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 just going to be it's going to be fabulous. It's going to be an opportunity not only for fans to like see how far women's football has progressed over the last couple of years, because we have to keep in mind that this generation and really sort of the previous generation of under twenties players, and that's about it, are the first to come through sort of fully developed academy kinds of systems. And even then, that's like, that's a very generous way of describing it. It's obviously nowhere near the development of um, no, the men's game. But these are really the first players who are the product of coming into an academy or a professional club environment at the age of, you know, 12, 13, and climbing up through those age ranks, coming into um, youth national team football at under 16s or 17s level and coming up through those ranks. This is really the first or second crop of those. And I think by virtue of that, the kind of football that we're going to see is going to be really exciting. It's going to be, I think, different from maybe what we're used to coming from uh, youth players, which seems to be a bit more rusty, a bit more raw, a bit more individual errors. I think what we'll start to see now is football that's like closer to senior level football maybe than what we were expecting. And that's what's so thrilling about it. I'm, I'm so excited for the Australian players because you really don't get opportunities like this very often to actually benchmark yourself against the best nations in the world. So in terms of expectations, like if we're, if we're able to be competitive against a team like Spain, who almost all of their players are full-time pros at this point, and we're able to not get thumped, that will be so wonderful. That would be a win in my eyes because we, like the majority of our players are coming from, you know, the, the juggle of A-League women's and NPL, you know, like that, that's our, that's our development system at the moment. We don't have what these other nations have got. So I think in that sense, it's going to be a, a really good um, moment of learning for not just the players, but also for sort of football more generally in Australia to really figure out where it is that we need to um, improve upon if we're wanting to go to tournaments like this and really show what we can do. And I think it's important as well to acknowledge that, you know, our youth development systems are actually pretty good. And we did see the manifestation of that recently in the under 18s AFF tournament, which the junior Matildas won. 
you know, like under under Ray Dower, they took out that tournament. It was fantastic. It probably didn't get the attention that it deserved in terms of soccer Twitter and media and back home stuff. But, you know, we've got really good players and we've got good coaches and we've got systems in place to try and, and improve them as much as we can. It's just that these last probably five years has really taken a, its toll, I think, on, on our youth national team program. So the fact that they're starting to stand back up again, the fact that we're going to tournaments like this, the fact that we're organizing friendlies and camps and doing all this sort of stuff all over the world, like all of that is part of the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is producing the next generation of Matildas. And so this is a this this tournament is going to be part of that story. Obviously, we speak a lot about Group A because that's the group that we're in. But, Angela, I'm curious, are there any other teams that you're excited to see or liking the look of or just frightened of if we do kind of progress out of the group stage and need to play some knockout football? I feel like, can I say all of them? Is that all? I don't know. That's the fun thing about tournament football. You just get to see, like... You can say all of them, but you must give me at least two specific countries <laughs> for the sake of the podcast. You must elaborate. Of course, of course. Um, well, in that case, I will say Germany, just because I I like watching the German senior team play, and they've had at the Euros they had a lot of young names that came through, and so if that's happening in their, in their under 20 sides, that's going to be really interesting to see. Um, and Nigeria as well, just because I love African women's football and again, don't get the opportunity very often to watch it. So um, I'm not too sure as, as one of our members of our podcast will be doing professional media things for the coverage of SBS at SBS. I'm not too sure if we're able to access the other games or if um, I'll have to be naughty. Um, you can cut that out if, you, if it's if you need to. But I'm now I'm actually looking at it. I'm like, nah, I should, yeah, th- th- this is going to be good fun. Anyway, sorry. Yes. So uh, Germany and Nigeria, but honestly, all of them, if I could. I respect it. I do respect the the answer of everyone. I will say, Sam, do you have anyone you would like to highlight? Yes, I do. Um, The first and probably most obvious is the USA. And one of the big reasons why I'm so excited to watch the USA is because of one particular player whose name is Olivia Moultrie. And if you don't know the story of Olivia Moultrie, she was the 15-year-old who signed a professional contract with Nike And she took the NWSL to court because she wanted to be registered with the Portland Thorns, but she was underage. And so they went to battle and basically she was registered with Portland, um, but not, she didn't, she wasn't allowed to debut in, in the sort of the team until she was 16. So she trained with them as a squatty um, and did all that sort of background work. And then she made her debut a couple of years later. So she, Again, based on that story and based on sort of the vibes in and around um, US Women's National Team Twitter, Olivia Moultrie is is one of the the big players to watch, as is Kaylin Shaw, who is a young player who plays for San Diego Wave, I believe, with Eggers, um, and an- another really exciting young forward um, coming through the ranks. So the USA is going to be a big one for me. But the other team who I'm so thrilled 
to be watching is New Zealand because this New Zealand team, not only are they filled with Wellington Phoenix kids who were so impressive in their debut season in the A-League women's last year, but this is also largely the same crop who finished third at the under-17s Women's World Cup all the way back in 2018. That was a really impressive achievement and they have kept this squad basically the same over the course of the last couple of years. So they've only grown together. They're being led by Gemma Lewis, Wellington Phoenix head coach. They've pretty much got the same style, the consistency of all of those past couple of years working together. So I reckon this could be a really surprising run from New Zealand because they have, yeah, they've got some really fabulous young players. I'm so thrilled that Alyssa Winham has been given this call up after her standout, her breakout season with Wellington and getting that young player of the year nomination as well. So yeah, it's just, it's going to be fabulous from, from both of those teams. But like Angela said, like, I'm just, I just want to see everyone. I want to see Germany. I want to see Japan. I want to see all of these teams. I want to see all of these young players and, and see who's going to be like the next legends because this is where it starts, right? And and like I remember watching in 2018 and, and watching young players like Alessia Russo, you know, and then all of a sudden she goes and becomes a breakout star at the Euros. It's, yeah, so this is where this sort of stuff starts. And it's also really cool street cred when, you know, a player all goes, goes on to make it big and you're like, well, I saw her first all the way back at Costa Rica, you know. So, yeah, it's it's going to be fabulous. But I'm particularly looking forward to the USA and New Zealand. I will say on that note as well, like, you know, the making of legends, um, FIFA are doing like videos of the current, you know, huge names in women's football and their performances at previous under twenties world cups. And so it's, it's just, yeah, they're really fun to watch. There's one of, you know, pop and she does the same goal celebration every single time, um, which I mean, good for her, but she, she does it many, many times. Um, so, you know, why not? You may as well. Um, but yeah, that's that's a fun thing if you have time to kill, which I claimed I didn't have earlier on in this podcast. I just love Alex Pop, consistent queen, and Sam going like full, a brand. I respect full, full Tumblr. I need them before they were famous. Like, uh, rip to you, but I'm built different. Sorry. <laughs> It's it's very it's very funny shit to me, but we do love it. So we've got one final question that I think we will sneak in um, from friend of the pod, Stephen. They asked, with this squad dominated by New South Wales-based talent, what can other states do to ensure that this isn't the case going forward? So it's a bit more big picture, almost philosophical kind of why do all the Tillies basically come from New South Wales? So we can only ask one person this question and it is the Queen of New South Wales herself, <laughs> Samantha Lewis. So <laughs> please, what are your thoughts on this question? Because it is actually a, a deeply interesting question when you kind of look into it properly. It is, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there are uh, different elements to the answer. The first is that... And I don't just say this because I'm from New South Wales, but New South Wales does have the strongest MPLW. Um, It uh, has, I mean, sort of, uh, if I were to rank them, it would probably be New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, um, then maybe South Australia, 
than ACT. Yeah. So, but far and away, it's it's pretty much New Zealand. And and the reason for that is because um, they have probably the most clubs with the sort of the uh, most professional, I suppose, setups. Clubs that are associated with with men's teams who have been in and around the MPL or NSL for several years or several decades in some cases. Um, it's also where um, a number of national team programs are run from. For example, the Future Matildas program is run out of Valentine Sports Park out in Blacktown. Uh, the Blacktown Spartans is basically the young slash junior Matildas club team. Um, a number of young players uh, from across the country really flew to Sydney um, to, to join this team in order to similar to sort of New Zealand and Wellington to maintain the continuity of um, of the squad over the course of the MPL season coming into, you know, big tournaments like this. So, yeah, so it's, it's not, yeah, it, it's hard to say that it's not because other states don't offer um, better programs or they don't have the talent. They do have the talent. It's just that New South Wales attracts all the talent because this is where the programs are. This is where the highest competition is. Um, and this is, yeah, it's, it's pretty much ticks all the boxes that you would need, I think, for a player at this stage of their careers. Um, like all f- full respect to players who want to remain in their respective states because of home, because of family, because of work, because of study, that's totally fine. Um, but it's, it's just sort of uh, the reality, I suppose, of the, um, the varying developmental pathways across the country that New South Wales happens to be the one that's more developed but it is important I think that other states um, and other sort of member federations look to what New South Wales is doing and try to replicate it we know that in WA for example they only started up their um, MPL women's competition two years ago I believe Um, which is great, you know, like better late than never, right? So the more that federations come to the table with this, the more they invest, the more that clubs um, create facilities and create competition for players, you know, the, I think the, the more um, we'll see our, our player pool grow and we'll start to see more players reaching um, milestones and benchmarks probably at younger ages because they're coming into these environments at a, an earlier time. And Victoria are doing really well, I think, in this space as well. They're starting to really progress and, and provide opportunities, more, more professional opportunities for emerging players. So, yeah, so that's, that's just it, unfortunately. Just other states just got to catch up. Sorry. I mean, I wonder if part of it is also that New South Wales is the biggest state in terms of population, right? I don't know. It would be yeah. interesting. I, I'm not the gal for this, but, like, to break down proportionate to the population of Australia and how much that state, you know what I mean? Because um, that would probably be more illuminating, I suppose, because it does make sense that the the state with the most people is producing the most football players. But um, at the same time, it, I think it, it would be disproportionate, especially when you look at like, I know a critique from some is like in terms of senior Matildas, like how many Victorian players do we have in the Matildas? Definitely not enough compared to like if you break down population stuff. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? But yes, agree with you, Sam. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and I do wonder as well, like uh, A-League clubs, the amount of A-League clubs and that kind of high-level opportunity available to someone for it, like, and it's nearby, that would be a big 
part of it as well. So I wonder if um, the introduction of Western United will play a role in seeing more um, young names coming through. Um, Marissa and I just we went to the Nike Cup final <laughs> yesterday. Um, and interestingly, like Calder United are so dominant and um, historically they've been a women's only and girls only club, which is um, a fantastic achievement when you do take into consideration the kind of limitations on resources that women's only teams can have um, if they don't have a men's team to kind of uh, work with or, or come from in a lot of ways. Anyway, that was just an aside. I think the other thing as well is that with New South Wales, we have more um, sort of women's football communities. I, I, I struggle to find another way to say that. But when I think about the various, um, if, I, if, I, if I imagine New South Wales women's football as a heat map, right, you've got lots of heat in sort of the middle of Sydney with your Arpias and your Sydney Olympics. You've got a lot of heat down on the south coast, represented usually by the Illawarra Stingrays. You've got a lot of heat in and around the Hunter region, Newcastle area. So the Emerging Jets um, Academy programs run from out there. That's a, that's a big population of players. And we've also got pathways from regional New South Wales as well. You know, Ellie Carpenter is a really good example of that coming from Cowra. So we've got sort of more happening. We've got sort of more going on here. And I, I guess that's a, as you mentioned, Angela, it's a good, like sort of reflected in the fact that we've got the most A-League women clubs um, of any other state as well. It's just that we've got more, we've just got more stuff going on. So I think by virtue of the law of big numbers, maybe we just happen to be able to produce more players. It becomes a bit of a, a cycle though, because obviously there's simply more people, there's more clubs, there's more opportunities. We also can't, like, ignore the fact that football in this country is based in New South Wales. Like, that's just a fact. The, the epicentre of football in this country yeah. is Sydney. So you really aren't shit if you're not in Sydney in football to sound very bitter and very Victorian at this point of time. But forgive me, I am. <laughs> I do have a point. It, then, and then I know... I agree with you, Sam, in the sense that it's good that other states are trying to put in more effort, more resources, create more programs. But Sydney's already so far ahead that if you want to compete with the best, you have to go to Sydney. All of those high-level programs, our, you know, attempts at trying to find another kind of AIS or something AISE are all in Sydney. So why would players not want to go where the rest of the best are. So it's a real kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't yeah, exactly. see a way in which other states can break in when Sydney's already got all the infrastructure, got the teams, all of the knowledge is there, all of the high-level people are in Sydney. So I, and like even doing a bit of research before this pod, they did, um, Football Australia did some really good profiles on some of the, the players in this team. They profiled four people. Three of them all basically started their interviews with, I moved to Sydney so I could play future Tillys. Yep. Yep. The only one who didn't was Sarah Hunter, who was already in Sydney. So it's <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It just, it becomes a thing where like, I would love to see, more programs. I know Victoria has like a FV Emerging Matildas program that they want to produce players. They want to offer these um, programs and stuff, but I don't see how it works when the kind of general consensus and general wisdom is that you want the best playing with the best altogether. And if that epicenter already exists, why would breaking it up and having it all across the country, like would that actually 
help or would it hinder in some sort of way? I don't know. This was me being bitter and Victorian. Thank you all for listening. <laughs> you don't often get to, to lord anything over Victorians, so I'm very, I'm relishing this moment, I'll have you know. I'm just glad that Harrow, uh, actually I'm disappointed that Harrow isn't here because that would have been the one thing that I could, because other than the not having a train line to the airport, that's the only hangover that I have from, from Melbourne. Hey, we're getting one. We're, we're getting one. <laughs> we're working it's, on it, Sam. <laughs> it's it's taking its time, but we're getting up. <laughs> Um, I was just going to say as well, interestingly, when you were talking about, you know, players moving to Sydney to pursue football, that presents a massive question around access. Um, And, you know, only people of a particular socioeconomic background are going to be able to afford that. And that's not to dismiss the the hard work and I'm sure the efforts of families who support their their kids in pursuing um, high-level sport. Um, I'm not saying that you're all bougie and rich and it's just so easy to do that. Um, but at the same time, that does uh, mean that a lot of people can't, you know, at the end of the day. So it is interesting to think about these things. Um, I'm sure there's some interesting stuff already out there about that, but just wanted to add that one. It is a very valid and important point. I feel like we could really go down the rabbit hole on this one, but we'll leave it there. And instead, I will tell you how you can watch our young Tillies at the World Cup. So we kick things off Thursday, the 11th at August, a midday kickoff, Australian Eastern Standard Time. Costa Rica, I love you. I love you so much. Oh, my God, a 12 p.m. kickoff, absolutely delicious. We follow that up with Brazil on Sunday the 14th of August, a 6 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time kickoff, which you do what you got to do. And then we end the group, obviously, with Spain, Wednesday the 17th of August, another midday Australian Eastern Standard Time kickoff. All of those games are on SBS and SBS On Demand, so tune in, put it on at work. Your boss isn't important in this moment. The young Matildas are. And as Angela said, you will be able to see our very own Sam Lewis on the coverage with SBS. So tune in for all the takes you would expect to hear on the far post, but on SBS. Very, very exciting. But that's it from us today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, you can find us on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. We're on Spotify, Apple and Google, all the pod places. If you like what we do, subscribe and leave a review. We are at the Far Post Pod on all social media. So thank you for sending in your questions. If you would like to offer your own replies, please do at the Far Post Pod. But until next time, see us.